For those of you who don't know me, my name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors at the church. Um, God is doing amazing things in our midst. Amen. Over the last week, the uh, Glasgow Climate Change Conference has been happening. And uh, one of the things, uh, without me kind of diving right into the whole debate about climate change and all that sort of stuff, one of the things that's actually been happening uh, in the weeks leading up to it and actually during the conference is there's been a lot of people agitating. And they've, they've been agitating because in their view, the leaders of countries are not responding appropriately to the emergency that's before us. And so there's this disconnect in their view about the, the emergency that we're in and what's being done about it. Um, in some ways, um, the storyline of the climate emergency is similar to the storyline of Scripture. There's some kind of impending disaster that's coming. And again, I'm not diving into the debate here, but there's some kind of impending disaster coming. And we need to do something to avert this disaster coming about. Um, But what we're actually seeing is something that I think we see pretty frequently with humanity is humanity doesn't always respond the way that they ought to in different situations. Uh, There's a a, uh, tendency for us to get decoupled from the nature of what is going on and not to react in a way that we need to. Uh, Our responses are not always keeping with the nature of the situation that we're in. And I want to suggest to you this morning... There's a far more serious situation going on than anything to do with the climate. And in this particular situation that's going on, we don't always respond the way that we need to either. It's it's not just a problem um, for other people. It's a problem for us too. Um, The situation that humanity's in with respect to God... It's far more serious than the climate situation, far more serious. And this is a problem not just for Christians but for uh, non-Christians as well. You know, the, uh, the latest kind of research back in 2017 suggests that 55% of people believe in God in Australian culture, all right? Now, one of the things that I find just blows my mind is this. When I talk to people and they say that they believe in God, but they have no interest in finding out what he thinks. That doesn't make any sense. If you think that God exists, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're welcome. You're welcome here, always welcome here. But it doesn't make any sense to believe that a God exists and then have no interest in finding out what he thinks. Because at some point in time, that's going to have a really significant bearing on your life, right? It just will. It seems to me, and it's always seemed to me, that it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, if there is a God, you probably just better find out what he thinks about stuff because that's pretty important. Here's another um, kind of uncoupling between the nature of reality and the way that people respond to it, and it has to do with Christians. Because one thing that I've noticed... And it's not just with people outside of me, it's in myself as well. Is we talk about hell and we talk about judgment day and then feel no urgency at all to tell people about stuff. We don't pray that much. We don't tell other people about Jesus that much. And we shoot for a comfortable life. That's weird, isn't it? You think that's weird? I think it's weird. 
I think there's probably, for all of us, there's going to be moments on when Jesus comes back where we just go, well, this is a bit awkward, <laughs> right? Because there was a sense of urgency about the way that I needed to do my life and I just lost it for a decade or five years or even two weeks. You know, the nature of reality and the nature of our response can get out of sync. That's the reality. And today we're going to look at a couple of things that demand a response from us. And it's out of John chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to look them up. John chapter 5. There's heaps of hope in the passage that we're dealing with today, but it actually is a bit more solemn than other things that we've been dealing with. John chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 19. We did this section last week. Jesus is really unpacking how he and the Father are one, that he is God. So verse 19, so Jesus said to them, The Jews, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. I wonder what those are. He goes on to say, For the fa- uh, sorry, for the for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Now, this is something you've got to get in your head. The Bible uh, talks about things that are coming in their fullness down the track, but you get a little bit of them now. And theologians use this category of now and not yet to understand that. There's, there's some of it that you get now, kind of as a down payment, and then in the future you get the rest of it. And this is kind of what Jesus is talking about. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So let's kick into the good news on the front end tonight. Jesus and life. Have a look at verse 20 to 23. I want to uh, step you through what Jesus is saying here. If you go to verse 20, remember this from last week if you were here. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What's Jesus doing? He's tipping you off. He's tipping you off to something. He suggests that there's greater works than the works that have been done already. What would they be? What would the greater works, sorry, what would the works be that have been done already? Well, the healing of the invalid at the Pool of Bethesda. We could go back to the healing of the official son. Maybe the turning of the water into wine at Cana. These are the kinds of things that Jesus is flagging, that greater works are going to be greater than these. Um, that, what he's saying here is that there's some stuff that he's going to get into that the Father's been doing all the way along and he's going to join the Father in it. They're going to be better than that. They're going to be better than that. What are they? Well, the first one, you'll notice, is a very, very close parallel to what Jesus said about how it works 
between him and the father. What does the father do? The father raises the dead and gives them life. The son joins the father in it. So he gives life to whom he will. Do you see that? This is what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Now, the idea that life and death are in the hands of God was not contested by the Jews. You can go right back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2, verse 7, where God breathes life into Adam. You can go to the book of Job in chapter 10, where Job talks about how God has granted him life and steadfast love. Uh, Psalm 36, verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. Uh, And then you've got this great section, a memorable section in um, Moses' best of sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 30 where he talks about choosing life or death uh, and that life itself resides in, in, in God. Listen to this. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life. No one argued that the father was the one from whom life came and what Jesus is saying is just as the father gets around and he gives out life so he gives out life too so if you put it in Sondagel vernacular this is what you'd say Jesus hands out life just hands it out that's what he does and you might ask well what kind of life does Jesus hand out and that's a good question what kind of life Well, I think the most prominent understanding that that stands out from this passage is spiritual life. You know, you you disconnect from God and you go dead. (laughs) Spiritually, you go dead and eventually you go dead physically. That's just how it rolls. Sin kills. Why, Why does sin kill? It's very, very simple. God is the one who is life. If you disconnect from the one who is life, what have you got left? Death. Every single time. It works like that all the time. It's very logical. Very, very logical. And you see this the whole way through Scripture. When it comes to God, distance is death. You turn from him, you walk away from him, and a whole bunch of death starts to happen. Why? Because he is the one who is life. This is the teaching of the whole Bible. From the, teach, from the creation of the world, to the Garden of Eden, to the coming of Jesus, to your life with him now, if you love him, closeness to God is life, listen to me, and distance from God is death. So when you turn from God, and you want to do your own thing, and stuff starts dying around you, you shouldn't be surprised. You should go, ah, of course, of course. You know, I talk about dishwashers every now and then. If you unplug a dishwasher from the power, is it going to work? Why not? No power. The dishwasher is dead if it's not plugged in, right? It's not plugged into the power source. For us to be alive, we do not, as Jesus says, we do not have life in ourselves. So you disconnect from the one who is life, you get death every single time. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Humanity decided, yeah, you know what, we think we can do this on our own. We'll disconnect from the one who is life and they embraced death. And, and it spawned all of the death that we see around us. 
relational death, physical sickness and death, the death of hope, the death of justice. It all started with spiritual disconnection from the one who is life. That's how it all started. Now, we find ourselves, humanity find our, finds ourselves in a world dis, in a disconnected state where we love darkness, a state of spiritual death. And John's saying to you that Jesus came to bring life. That's what he did. He came to bring life. And he came to bring life to the spiritually dead. But I don't think it ends here. If you have a look at verse 21 in John chapter 5 there, Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Goes on later in the passage to talk about the resurrection and the life. About people being raised from the dead. See, I don't think the life that Jesus brings is only spiritual life. It's physical. There's some physical effects of it as well. It's much, much broader. You know, and as you actually look through the whole Gospel of John, you see John uses this term life in a very broad sense. It's not that people get saved and then Jesus' life doesn't overflow to them in other ways. Jesus' life is pervasive. It does amazingly broad, incredible things. You know, what, what you've got here is when Jesus shows up on the scene, he incarnates, you've got life itself breaking out in the land of death. Does that get you excited? Because death is depressing. Does anyone like death? A death of your dreams, death of hope, death of the ones that you love? It's depressing, right? And in the darkness, Jesus shows up and he is just pulsating life, just emanating from him. And so life happens all over the place. And you know when Jesus shows up and his, his life itself, you don't just get a little bit of it. Which book of the Bible do you think the verse comes from that says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly? Anyone like to have a guess? John, right? Let's get a little bit. You get lots of it, heaps and heaps of it, all over the place. And so you'd be right to ask, well, where does he get his life from? How can he do this? And Jesus tells you this. I've mentioned it already. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, this is a whole different category because you all had to sleep last night and you all probably had breakfast. Okay? Uh, you, you, you don't get this. In terms of experience, what this is like, everything that you know, everything around you is actually dependent. Everything's derivative, but not God. God is self-existent. He has life in himself, and Jesus does too. It's just how it is. You know, it's a dumb thing to say, maybe in one sense, but hopefully you get the point. You know, if you could take a human and put them in a box, they'd die if you didn't give him anything. If you took God and you could put him in a box, he'd happily live forever. Because he doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on anyone or anything. And John tells us here, you know, that John's on flagging for us that there was a time where the son didn't have life in himself. He's talking about the nature of the relationship between the father and the son. Because if you go back to John 1 verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Jesus always had life in himself. 
from eternity. He didn't suddenly get it when he was incarnated. And it makes total sense in the context of the Trinity. So let's recap. Jesus does what the Father does. The Father gives life. So Jesus gives life too. Now, here's another question some of you might be asking. Well, who gets the life that Jesus hands out? All right, now that's a good question. And there's a very simple answer. It's in verse 21. Have a look at verse 21. The Son gives life to whom he will. So who gets the life that Jesus hands out? Well, whoever Jesus wants to give it to. All right? Whoever Jesus wants to give it to. Now, this might mess with your head a little bit. All right? And I think part of the reason why it messes with our, it can mess with our heads a little bit is because we like to be masters of our own destiny. We like the thought that we can do something to organize something for ourselves or manipulate something. If we want something and we like the idea that there's something we can do about it to make sure that it rolls our way, you know. But it isn't like this with Jesus. In fact, I want to say to you, it isn't like this with a lot of stuff that people do to each other. Take love, for example. Can you make someone truly love you? Can you? Well, I don't think you can. You can't make someone love you. You can put pressure on them and try and manipulate them and it might actually look like they love, love you, but you know what? At the end of the day, they, if they don't love you, they don't love you. And if, you, if you've manipulated them to give you the thing that you want, it's not really the thing that you want anyway because you actually want them to love you and they're only doing it because you're putting them under pressure. You see, love is something that you just have to give. And I want to say to you this morning, God is not a vending machine. He's not a vending machine. He's a person and he can give stuff to whoever he wants to give it to. He can decide what he wants to do with the stuff that he has. Right? You know, we say that about people. There's a lot of conversation going on at the moment about human freedoms and human rights. I'll tell you something, God can do whatever he wants with his stuff. Anyone give me an amen for that? Amen. He can do whatever he wants with his stuff. This is, um, and even more so with God, because here's the thing, we're derivative, we're dependent. God's not. Like, we, we are much more, we're bound much more than what people think. Like people often come up to me and talk about free will, and I just go, woo, 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 we just need to slow down a bit, right? Because the way that people think about free will is not the way that it actually rolls a lot of the time. You do not have the free will to not sleep. God does. He doesn't sleep. You do not have the free will to not drink water or to not eat. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is the freest being in the universe. You and I... Have to breathe, eat, get shelter and so on to stay alive. God doesn't. He just does whatever he pleases. 
So the next question, obviously, is, well, what determines the way that God acts? Well, nothing constrains God. The only thing that determines the way that God acts is this, his character. All right? His character. And I want to say to you this morning, you must not call God's character into question. You must not do that. Now, at this point in time, I could temper um, what I'm saying this morning with some other scripture, okay? Because for some of us, the idea that Jesus hands out life to whomever he will messes with us a bit. But you know what I'm I'm not going to do today? I'm not going to give you any of those other scriptures, all right? And you know why? Because I think you should just have the attitude that God's good and he can do what he wants with his stuff. And you should be okay with that. Is anyone with me? Can we be okay with that? And we trust him that he's good? I mean, if, if the cross tells you anything, that he comes and gives himself for guilty sinners... It tells you that you can trust him with this stuff, right? He can hand it out to whoever he wants to hand it out to. That's not the only thing that Jesus hands out. Jesus also, in this passage, hands out judgment. Look at verse 22 to 23. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Verse 27, the Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Now, we love the idea that in the land of death, Jesus would just be going around handing life out, right? Like some kind of person on the side of the street handing out brosis. Yeah, it's like, yeah, let's have plenty of that. But in the same passage here, you know what we've got as well, is that Jesus is handing out judgment as well. And I, I, want, to hear, I want you to hear me say this, and this is, this is probably going to be the part of the message. You're probably going, no, it's all been intense, Pete, but... Um, this is the part that's a bit more intense because heavy in this, Jesus is going to see to it that people get what's coming to them. That everyone gets what's coming to them. It's a lot more somber, right? Now, just as a side kind of textual note, some of you go, woo, 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 slow, slow down a bit because I've noticed something here that's not consistent with what Jesus just said. Do you see it there? Verse 22. For the father, father judges no one. Some of you might go, hang on, Pete. I thought you just said a while ago that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. What's actually going on here? Well, if you want to understand it this way, I, I'd, I'd just I'd throw this out to you, is, is that Jesus is the front man when it comes to judgment. Okay? Does it mean that God is not doing any, any judging? Not at all. In fact, if you go down to verse 30... It speaks to, um, to how this whole thing works. And, and it helps you to see that it's still the same mechanism that the son doesn't do anything on his own. So verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. The same thing that we saw back earlier. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Where's Jesus' judgment coming from? Well, it's coming through the Father. He's the front man on it, but it's coming through the Father. Or Jesus may be the front man, he's still working closely with the Father, taking his cues from him. Back to this issue of judgment. I want to ask you a question. A couple of questions, actually. Do you think that it's a good thing that judgment is coming? 
Let me help you a little bit. If I change the word, do you think it's a good thing for justice to come? Of course it is. Of course it is. I, I mean, even the judgment one, you'd kind of go, well, I'd expect that you want to answer yes. Some do freely, but I expect that you'd want to answer yes, even if you can't squeeze it out. But when you talk about justice, it becomes clearer and clearer, doesn't it? Because we know the importance of justice. And not just in an impartial observer kind of sense, right? Um, I tell you, you, you get sinned against grievously and you will have a cry for justice in your heart. No one has to tell you to have it. It's just there, right? Because it's not fair. It's not fair that person or those people shouldn't have done what they did. And this is a kind of thing that we see in the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. You know, Cain kills his brother Abel and the Lord goes to him uh, in verse 10 and says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. There's blood in the soil and the, the blood is crying out for justice. And we have that cry too. But it's not just the cry of a victim. Sometimes we, we watch things and we see things in our culture, overseas, in other countries. And, and we're not the victim directly, but we see them and we go, that's not right. It is not right for that to happen. Someone needs to stop that. It's not fair. I mean, pretty much every night of the week on the news, what have you got? Well, you've got The law cases that have gone through the courts that aren't fair. They don't tell you about the ones that are fair. They tell you about the ones that aren't fair, the ones where justice wasn't done. And I want to say to you all today, whether you love Jesus, you're a Christian or not, there will be a day where everything gets squared up. There will be a day when everything will be just the justice will be done and I want to say to you that will be a good day that will be a good day ask the people who have been deeply scarred and hurt by other people's sin but before we all kind of get too carried away with righteous indignation it's a real temptation for those who've been sinned against there's a catch, isn't there? And we all know there's a catch. There's a temptation in the midst of sin and suffering that has been caused by other people to be blind to our own mess. We can be so focused on the evil of another, asking God to get them, or maybe not even talking to God about it at all and just wanting to get them ourselves. We become kind of vigilantes, trying to square things up. We can forget that we're sinners too. You know, here's... Here's a tricky thing. Uh, no one person in this world, there's no fallen human that is only a sufferer. Every single person is a sinner and a sufferer. <laughs> no one is solely a victim. We are all victims and victimizers. That's all we are. And as a side note, this is what makes it really, really tricky in caring for people and looking after, for, looking after people pastorally because you, you sit there and you just go, 
what am I, what am I hearing? Am I hearing, is this person mainly a sinner at this point? Or are they mainly a sufferer? Or are they a mixture of it? We've just kind of got to find some way to understand what's going on. The reality is that we suffer under sin and we sin in our suffering. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, we do. Some of us eat too much in our suffering and food becomes our God. Or we go shopping or we find some way to escape or we give way to really unhealthy anxiety or we get angry. You know, if you hesitated a little before when I asked if you thought judgment was a good thing, it could well have been because you know all of us are in the firing line to some extent or another. But let me encourage you at this point. I want to encourage you to resist hesitating. The day when judgment happens will be a good day. Justice will be done. Evil will be stopped. Righteousness and flourishing will be lifted up. You won't have to watch your back anymore. Everything's going to be sorted out. Everything that's been done in secret and no one else saw what happened to you, it'll be seen, it'll be known, and everything good and bad will be dealt with. I want you to hear me that the Lord sees all. It's Proverbs 15 verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And so I want to suggest to you it will be a good day. In fact, it's not just going to be a good day, it's going to be a great day. You know why? Because there's a get out of jail free card. That's why. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So think of the day this way. Think of it in, I hesitate to use this word, but let's just go for it, in a binary way. Because it is binary. It's on or it's off. It's judgment or it's life. That's the options. So Jesus walks past you and he's handing out judgment and he's handing out life. Which one do you want? You either get one or the other. There isn't another option there. It's one or the other. Which one do you want? Now, knowing the truth about these things... And I don't say this in any way as an insult. Only an insane person would want judgment from the Almighty God. So do you want life? Yeah? So your next question is, well, how, do you, how, how would someone get this get-out-of-jail-free card? How would someone get this life? Well, it actually comes down to the way that you listen to Jesus. Let's just read verse um, 28 and 29 because this is critical. Just have a look there. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, you know what's critical about this is you've actually got everyone's hearing God's voice. So people get resurrected on the last day. And there's a sense in which every single person, because Jesus' voice is so authoritative, responds to Jesus. Everyone will hear him. On the judgment day, Jesus is going to call everyone out of the tombs and they'll rise and they'll come out. 
They will listen, but this is really critical. It's not a kind of hearing that avoids judgment. This is not that kind of hearing. It's a kind of hearing that will bring life to their bodies and then they go to judgment or life. And I want to say this to, uh, to everyone who loves Jesus here this morning. If Jesus doesn't come back in the next hundred years, everyone that you know will hear his voice like this. Every single person. Because everyone will die and they'll be raised and they'll hear his voice like that. But, and this is critical, not everyone that you know will hear a voice that takes them to life. They'll hear a voice that raises them and then the next voice they'll hear will be about judgment or it'll be about life. So your question really ought to be, Pete, tell me what kind of hearing (laughs) gets you out of judgment? What kind of hearing gets you life? Well, the good news is Jesus doesn't leave you in the dark. Never leaves you in the dark. That's why we love him so much. He tells you. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. All right? Now, notice here, first up, the Father and the Son are a package deal. All right? Whoever hears my words, Jesus, and believes him who sent me, the Father. They're just in on this stuff together. It's the same stuff that we've been on about over the last little while. Um, So what do you need to do to actually avoid judgment and get life? Here and believe. Now, before you jump in and think this stuff's pretty straightforward, uh, let me clarify a few things. Who knows that you can hear something and not really hear it? You notice that? You, you hear it, but it doesn't sink in. Parents know all about this, all right? Especially when their kids are on screens, all right? It's like their head's just in another place. Kids can hear you without really listening. Any parents give me an amen for that one? Amen, that's a hearty amen, it's the best one of the morning. One of my regular lines in my former life as a high school teacher is I used to stand there, particularly with junior high boys, and I'd say to them, you're listening, you're not listening. And they go, no, no, I'm listening, I'm listening. And that was my line, I'd just go, you're listening, you're not listening. Because they'd look at you like, they thought they were listening, but they weren't really listening. You know, one of the reasons why listening is, uh, in a spiritual sense, is so difficult is it's actually connected to belonging. You know, I mean, if I'm in a shopping centre and one of my kids is off at a distance and I call out to them, the chances are they're going to respond to me. Why? Because they know me. They know my voice. They belong to me. There's all these other kids in the shop not going to do that. It's what John talks about later on in chapter 8, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. You know... There's people who, who hear the truth about God, but they don't hear God speaking as they hear the truth about him. They might hear wisdom. They might hear something comforting, like people often quote Psalm 23 at a funeral, but they don't hear God speaking to them. They don't hear the Father speaking to them. Now we, need to, we need to be aware. We need to really lean in there. 
And you know, there's some people who do. And even the people that, you know, I was talking with some guys this week and uh, one of them uh, said, he said the most, um, the bit he loved most in the ministry that he was working in was being able to read the Bible with non-Christian people. I just thought, man, that's really cool. Because you know there's some people who when you sit down and you read the Bible, they hear, they hear God speaking to them. They hear the Father. It's not just good ideas. But Jesus pushes further than that. It's not just about listening to him. It's about believing as well. You know, believing is about trust. Believing is not just about mental assent to something. It's not just about intellectually agreeing with something. It's about trust. It's about leaning on God, relying on him, trusting in him. This mixture of hearing and trust is the way that you get life. You need to lean in. So let me wrap up. Jesus hands out life and judgment. And the one that you get depends on the way that you listen and what you do with it. So my first question is for anyone who's here today that doesn't know Jesus. What is your posture toward Jesus? What is it? Do you hear him? Is him speaking to you? Not just some interesting ideas, some comforting words? Let me um, speak directly to, um, to the Christians here today. And I I am going to be a bit direct with you. So you can disagree with me if you want, okay? Um, But you know Australians are laid back. We're laid back people. I mean, who would have thought that Australians would be so compliant when it came to all the stuff that's happened over the pandemic? But they have been. I think the reality about being Australian is we're kind of laid back. And it's like, push us far enough and we'll go to war against you. But we're actually going to put up a fair bit with a fair bit because they're pretty laid back. But I want to ask you this morning, is there such a thing as being too laid back when it comes to you and the people around you and life and judgment? Is there? Let me just be really annoying for a minute. Did you spend more time praying for the unsaved this week than you did commenting on the vaccine debate? Did you spend more time praying this week for the unsaved than you did commenting on the climate change stuff or reading climate change articles? I'm not saying that that stuff's not important. I'm just saying that this is more important. And one of the the realities in churches is that mission drops off our radar. It, It just drops off our radar. It's the first thing to go. You can kind of nail it down. You talk to any pastor, it's money... And missions, they're the first two things to go out the door. And they're actually the last things to really, in a big way, come on board when a church is really in a healthy spot. Do you feel a sense of urgency? Now, I'm not saying that we've got to go out and Bible bash people all the time, but it can come out in your prayer life. A sense of urgency comes out when the opportunity comes up to speak about Jesus with people who don't know him. If you feel a sense of urgency, you're just going to dip your toe in that water and kind of step in. If you don't, you probably sit back because you know that it may not go very well. I 
105 people die every minute across the world. Um, Generous statistics suggest that 30% of the world population are adherents to Christianity. You can do the maths. 70 people a minute are going to judgment. How do you feel about it? Do you care? Wednesday night, I'm just going to leave you to answer this question. I'm just going to ask it. On Wednesday night, we had an international missions prayer night for praying for international missions. Do you know how many people came? Five. Is that urgency? It's your question to answer. We have something, folks, amazing to give to people. And so it's not appropriate for me to finish this morning with you feeling guilty because you have a great privilege. You're connected to the one who is life, who likes to hand it out. So you know if the Father hands out life and Jesus joins him in handing out life, you could join them in handing out life. Couldn't it? See, it's not... I want you to go away going, oh, Peter made us feel really guilty. Because you know the best kind of salesperson, not that we're salespeople, but the best kind of salesperson is the one who believes in their product, right? It's like this really is the best thing. The best kind of person to speak for Jesus is the one who says he really is the best thing you should get him and you should get as much of the life that he has to offer because you know what he just hands it out you have to pay for it you have to get a ticket he just hands it out it's like what yeah like you wouldn't believe it seriously unless someone told you that's why i'm telling you now because he just hands it out We're going to have communion. So just invite the worship team to come up. This is really appropriate right now to uh, have communion. I trust that you, uh, you see that. You know why? Because communion is actually about life. And you know, one of the things that's really clear in Scripture is that life is not a standalone commodity. It's, you know, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says what do I need to do to get eternal life and Jesus says you just got to sell all your stuff and then you got to come and follow me what is Jesus saying he's going what you actually need to have life is you need to have me that's what you need to have and the uh the rich young ruler taps out and just goes no I'll keep my stuff and I'll not have Jesus and you know what he didn't get life at least not that we know about you get life when you get Jesus that's how it works 
Well, the next question is, well, how do I get Jesus? Well, you can't just go and take him. He has to give himself to you. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. Jesus gave himself to you. And so communion is actually about receiving Jesus' life. The, uh, the bread is, his, is representative of his flesh and the juice is blood. And do you know what happened on, um, on the cross is Jesus took the judgment for you and for anyone who comes to him. Why? Because justice has to be done. God is not an unjust judge. He's not going to overlook the things that you've done. But he is happy to transfer the judgment for that and the wrath for that and the punishment for that onto his own son. Jesus carried that for you. And in the most amazing of exchanges, we give Jesus our death and he gives us his, his life. That's how it works.